Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk and daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. ever had a bad dream? Anybody? Anybody have a nightmare before? Now, before we jump into this, I don't want this to be a nightmare for you, but I want you to turn to your neighbor. That could be enough right there. But I want you to turn to your neighbor. If you were here last week, if you weren't here last week, this is going to, like, you're going to be able to say, I'm out. But maybe the person beside you was, so then you can actually hold them accountable. All right? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person beside you, and I want you to share with them the memory verse from last week, which I'll cheat and I'll tell you, Psalms 35, 9. Share with them from memory what it is. Don't look it up on your phones or from your notes, and see how close you get. Go for it. Anybody get it? Marked it? No. Did anybody get it? See, everybody's nervous. As soon as I ask after that, they're like, his next thing is going to have us come to the front. I won't have you come to the front. But who, did anybody get it? Did anybody remember? We got some people over here. Anybody else? Nicely done. Kids, you have permission throughout the week to check your parents' homework and see if they're memorizing the scriptures. All right? I want you to memorize them as well. So here we go. Who here has ever had a bad dream? Show your hand again. Who here has had a bad dream, had a nightmare? And have one, like, you've had one that, like, scares you, right? Like, scares you to the deepest of your core. I had a dream, I remember it years ago, and by years ago, I mean, like, I was younger than 12. And I only know that because I was living in a home that uh, was our first home, and I just couldn't separate where I was sleeping. Um, but I'm going to share this dream with you. And before I do that, I need to like confess. I've, many of you know this, but many of you might not know this. I am not afraid of snakes. I am petrified of snakes. And so I don't care if a snake is 12 feet long or if it's 12 centimeters long. If I see a snake, one of two things happen. I run or I kill it. And for all the snake lovers in the world, most times I kill it. Um, I'm just sharing that. If you love snakes, I just want to remind you that all of this trouble that we have in our world started because of a snake. <laughs> all right? So, and on, I don't know how this happened, but anybody watching TV, anybody ever watched the show called Swamp People? Yeah, few, yeah, good, good. A couple people, a few people. Yeah, I see those hands. More hands on that than the memory verse, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> But all of a sudden, they started this show, and I don't, I'll be honest, I've never watched Swamp People. But all of a sudden, they started this show that was called Swamp People, The Serpent Invasion. And it's about how all of these pet snakes, people released into the wild in Florida because they didn't want them anymore because they got too big. So they just let them go. Like, it's one thing to drop your, like, cat off on the side of the road. I'm not recommending that, by the way. There's more humane things to do. But just, like, you know, driving down the road and dropping off a python... And going, eh, it'll look after itself. So this show, and for some strange reason, there was a part of me that said, I should watch this. Realize, I'm petrified of snakes. And so for some reason, I started watching this show, got totally hooked on it, and Miles and I would watch it together with one agreement. 
we were not allowed to grab each other during the show. Because I am an incredible loving father, and so in any type of movie where it gets a little bit intense, I will usually grab somebody. Just because I love them. And I like to see them jump. But I realized, and I was trying to explain this in the first service, trying to explain this to Miles, like, you can't grab me in those moments because I'm not sure if I would just scream or my response would be like, I'm not fully sure. And so there's moments where I'm watching this show and I'm honest, like I'm lifting my feet up off the floor, I'm getting them up on the couch, but I'm still hooked. And so here I am, petrified of snakes, watching this show. I don't get it, really sidetracked here, I apologize. I'll come back to my notes. But I have this dream of snakes as a kid. And I'm on this wooden raft. I don't know why, but I'm on this wooden raft. And I'm laying there, but I'm also laying amongst a whole pile of dead snakes. Right? I'll let you envision that for a moment, just so you get where I am. Um, But as I'm laying there, I have no idea. But I can kind of process this and be like, okay, they're all dead. I'm okay. Then all of a sudden, I begin to see one moving. But it's slithering through like all the dead ones. So you're like, oh, it's nowhere. Oh, and you can see it, and it's just freaking me out. It's a dream. I understand it's a dream. But I still remember this. And I'm telling you, I'm under the age of 12. This is how much it stuck with me. And so I'm seeing this, and I'm watching. I'm trying to follow. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And all of a sudden, it disappears. And then all of a sudden, it bites me right here in the neck. And I wake up instantly to my bed sheets touching my neck right here. I freak right out. And this dream has stuck with me ever since. So when I talk about scary dreams and bad dreams, this is what I'm talking about. But have you ever noticed, if you have kids or when you were younger, and maybe even today, I don't know, but when you have a bad dream, when a child has a bad dream, they look for a parent. They want mom or they want dad. And a lot of times, if they come running into your room... What do they want? They want in the bed. If they just sit in their bed and scream, they want you in their bed. And what they want is they want us to lay there. They want to cuddle. They want to be held by somebody they know loves them. And in that moment, in that loving embrace, in that comfort and safety of love, they're able to relax and go back to sleep. And this is where we get this understanding of what um, 1 John 4, 18 says. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment, and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. See, when people know they're in a place of love and they're surrounded by love, fear leaves. Fear goes away. Perfect love, which is only comes from the Lord, we receive that the more we know God and the more his love is in us, it also sets us free. The more time we spend with the Lord, the more we embrace his love, the more we have a relationship with him, the more his perfect love delivers us from fear. The more we grow in a relationship with him, the more we understand him, it pushes fear out of our lives. Now, there is healthy fear. Let's just talk about that for a second. There's healthy fear. You shouldn't get too close to the edge of a building. 
If you watch those parkour videos online, I think those guys are nuts. If you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. But don't, like, there's a healthy fear that tells us to stop. There's a healthy fear that says don't drive down the highway too fast, especially don't drive the wrong lane. There's healthy fear. But we're talking about the fear that freezes us when God's actually trying to push us and get us to do something for him. God doesn't give us fear. And we see this as Paul is encouraging Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The deeper our relationship is with God and we understand how fear is not from him, the more we spend time with him, the more we're in a relationship with him, we begin to understand that God has given us love, he's given us power, he's given us a sound mind, but he has not given us fear. And as we read through this verse and we understand that love comes from him and power comes from him, he's given me the power so that I am strong enough to do whatever he's called me to do. So whatever he's called you to do, whatever he's burned in your heart, whatever he's put a passion in your life, and yet makes you almost nervous of like, oh, I don't know if I can do that, you can do it through him. You can do it with him in your life and him walking with you and in a relationship with the Father. He's given me love. God is love. This is what the word tells us. And so you want to understand, if you have God in your life, he equips you so that you can love anybody. Yes, even that person. He's equipped you that you can love anyone. And he's also given me, as this scripture tells me, a sound mind, or depending on what uh, version of Bible you have, self-control. So the nice thing is that he's called you to do something. He's given you the strength to do it. He's given you the love to do it. And if you realize there's certain areas of your life that have to change a little bit so that you can fulfill what he's asked you to do, he's also given you the self-discipline and the self-control and the sound mind to be able to walk it through. So when we think of God's love, when we think of the love of Jesus Christ, we immediately go to a verse that many of us know, even if you didn't grow up in the church, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What a powerful expression of love. Sending his son his one and only son, to die for you, to die for me. This is God's ultimate expression. He sent him to save us, not to harm us. He sent Jesus to save us, to restore us to relationship with him. John 3, 17, the very next verse, many of us know John 3, 16, but we stopped there. John 3, 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus never came to look down on you. He never came to criticize you. He never came to condemn you. He came to love you and to save you and deliver you. God didn't send him to condemn us. Jesus didn't come to condemn us. He sent him for one purpose, to die and to save you, and to save me, and to set us free. So when, because of this, because he's done this, because he sent his son with this purpose, with this desire, with this whole idea of restoring us to a relationship, what does he ask for in return? What does he ask us 
to do. Jesus tells us in Matthew 22, verse 37 and 39, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the very first one, love God with all you have, all your heart, all of your passions, all of your desires. Love the Lord with your soul, all of your soul, all of your emotions, all of your feelings. Love the Lord. All of your mind, everything you think about, what you concentrate, your decision making. If you have a decision to make, ask the Lord. We give him all of it. We love him with all of it. The second thing is love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Well, well, who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Jesus actually answers this question for us in a parable that he talks about. He tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, and, and many of you might know a version of it, but basically the way the story goes is this one man is walking to Jerusalem, and on the way there, he's mugged, he's robbed, he's beaten, and left for dead. And as he's laying there, along comes, walking along the road is a Levite, and as he's walking along, he sees this man laying there, and all of a sudden he sees him, but he goes to the other side of the road, and he walks past him. And heads on his way. The next one comes walking along as a priest. And a priest comes walking along and he sees the man. And many of us immediately go, well, a priest, he should have, like a pastor, he's going to stop and he's going to help. But he goes to the other side of the road and he walks by. And the next one to come is a Samaritan. Now what you have to understand is when Jesus throws out this term Samaritan, the Samaritan and the Jews hate each other. I don't mean dislike each other. I mean hate each other. Like, they don't even talk to each other. They don't stay in the same city. They have their own areas. There is no love or even remotely warm feelings towards each other. They hate each other. But this Samaritan sees this man, and he stops. And he bandages him up. He puts him on his donkey, and he takes him into town. And he finds a place where he can be looked after and fed and, and nurtured back to health. And he, sta- he gives this, the people that are looking after him money and says, Look after him, bring him back to health. And if this is not enough, when I return, I will give you the rest. And Jesus says, this is a good neighbor. Here is the good neighbor. So our neighbor, your neighbor, is anyone in need. Anyone in need is who our neighbor is. Who can we help? Who can we assist? Who can we be the hands and feet of Jesus? John 15, 12, it says this, For my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. We are to lay down our lives for other people. We are to lay down our life. Now, what does that look like today? Does that mean I'm supposed to die for you? Maybe. But what else does it mean to lay down my life for you? I'm supposed to put you first. I'm supposed to lay down my personal choices, my personal preferences. I'm supposed to lay down what I would even call my personal rights for you. I'm supposed to do my best to serve you. I put others above myself. Jesus tells a story when he's at, in Luke 14, he's at a Pharisee's house for a dinner and as he's getting ready to sit down, he's observing all the guests coming in. And as all the guests are coming in, they're going, and some of them are going to the best seats in the room. 
And they're just walking in, and there's no seating chart. They're just going, and I'm going to sit here. It's the best seat. And Jesus tells his story in a way of what happens. What, what if you begin to look at other people as higher than yourself? What if you go into a room where there's different seats to be taken? And we understand when we think of a dinner and where to sit. You think of a wedding dinner. If I'm a guest and I walk in, I'm not going to walk up and see the head table and go, I'm just going to go sit in the center. And a lot of times the family sits close to the parents. I'm not just going to walk up and sit there. I'm going to walk in. If there's no seating chart, I'm going to sit at the back. What if we begin to sit at the back and then that way, if somebody walks in and they go, wait, 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 you shouldn't be sitting at the back. Come with us. You're a special guest. Come and sit near the front. Because that approach, as Jesus is talking about, is way better than sitting at the front and somebody having to walk up to you and going, this seat is for somebody else. And then you have to get up and do the humble walk of walking back. Jesus says, what if we sit at the back and we wait? What if we think of others higher than ourselves? What if we think of ourselves a little bit more humbly and put other people above ourselves? This is how we have a heart to serve. Romans 12, 13 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith, of, the faith God has distributed to each of you. Sober judgment. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. What if we begin to see other people's lives as more important than ours? What if we begin to see other people as equals or that we can serve or higher than us? See, the Bible goes on to talk about in Romans 12, it begins to talk about uh, the human body and how the human body needs every part and every organ to survive. And then it goes into how the body of Christ, it refers to us as a body of Christ. We need each other. Every one of us has our own purpose, has our own things that we are supposed to do and are supposed to be a part of the body. You are here because this body needs you. It needs you to be a part of it actively. See, as we read Romans 12, 3, about thinking more humbly about ourselves and not thinking and having sober judgment, what we have to realize is Hebrews or Romans 12, 3, it comes right after Romans 12, 2. I know, it's amazing how that works. But Romans 12, 2 is so important to read before you read 3. Because Romans 12, 2 says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be the test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. We're supposed to renew our minds and go against the patterns of this world. If we think of our world right now, the idea of me putting you guys first or you putting me first is so beyond our world. Our world right now, our society is so self-gratifying. What about my rights? What about who I am? What about what I should be able to do? And I can do whatever I want. This statement's popular right now is you be you and I'll be me. You do what you want to do and I'll do what I want to do and, and we'll be okay. But that's not what the Bible talks about when it talks about love. I'm supposed to love you as I love myself. No perfect 
No better love than for me to lay down my life, lay down my rights, lay down my choices for you. This is what God has called us to. Last week we talked about joy and our joy can be complete. And we read that in John 15 and and right after John 15, 10 where it says our joy will be complete, it comes John 15, 11. And I want us to read this together. John 15, 11 to verse 13. It'll be on the screen. Let's read this together as we talked about our joy. Actually, sorry, it's John 15, 11 talks about our joy. We're going to read it first and continue into the next two verses. Let's read this together. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for, one, for one's friend. You read it much better than I did. But here is what we talked about, our joy being complete, and then it goes straight into how we are supposed to love others and lay down our own lives. So if you want joy, love others. When we take our eyes off ourselves, we begin to see life differently. If we live in a state of self-pity, we're always going to see our own problems. We're always going to see what's going on around us, what's always negative around us. I've talked to multiple people this week about just this this Christmas season. and, And let's be honest, all of us feel the way Andrew feels sometimes, it's hard to get into the Christmas spirit. And, and if you want to sit down with me and talk about how bad it can be, oh man, I can have that conversation all day long. But we talked about it last week, and we're going to touch it for just a moment now. What if, what if when we think of this Christmas, what if we shift our perspective and begin to think of all the great things that can happen and begin to stir up the joy in our lives and fix our eyes on Jesus? Because here is the reality that we are living in as well. We are blessed. Every one of us in this room are blessed. And when we begin to count our blessings more than our struggles, our blessings will begin to look bigger and look better. And we're supposed to love others as God has loved us. 2 Corinthians 13, 11 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, strive for full restoration, encourage one another, and be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. For us to experience God's love and to share it to the fullness, we need to strive for full restoration. So who do you need to forgive today? Who do you need to ask for forgiveness from? See, by forgiving and asking for forgiveness, it frees us up from offenses and allows us to love others. Then a follow-up question is, are you offended by someone today or something? See, offense eats us up inside. And many times the other person who we're offended by actually doesn't even know anything happened, so they're living life to the fullest. Which, if we're honest, just makes it worse. So who do you need to forgive? Because see, having an offense happen in your life is an event. It happens. And we will never be able to stop from offenses happening. But where we do have a choice is when we are offended, that's actually a choice. To stay offended is a choice. To not release them and give them forgiveness. 
And so this morning, if we want to receive God's love and be able to share God's love, we need to release people from offenses that have happened in our lives. We need to forgive others so we can love them. 1 John 4, 8 says, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. John really can't say this any straighter. He's pretty direct right here, that if I don't love someone, then I don't know God. And that means if you don't love someone, you don't know God. Because God is love. See, we have to think about it this way. If God loves you and me so much that he sent his son to die for us, he loved us even when we were sinners. I wasn't born a believer. I was actually born a sinner. And so God sent his son to die for me even though I was a sinner. And if he loves me, if he loves you, even before we asked him into our lives, he loves us unconditionally, then I need to think about the times, you need to think about the things that you and I have done, that people have seen, and the things that we have done that nobody has seen, and God is so gracious to forgive us. And if he's able to forgive us, what right do I have not to extend forgiveness to other people? What right do you have not to extend forgiveness? And love to other people. When we think about the mercy God is showing us. Man, the mercy that God is showing me. Repeatedly. What right do I have? Not to extend forgiveness to others. Not to extend the same mercy and grace. We're supposed to love one another. 1 Corinthians 13. It's the whole love chapter. We read in uh, Corinthians 13 how... Uh, we're supposed to love one another. In chapter 12, it's all about the gifts. Chapter 13, uh, 14 is about gifts and how they're supposed to be used in the church. In this chapter, it talks about how we're supposed to love in the gifts, with the gifts, with the Holy Spirit. And in here, what we have to understand is without love, Paul explains multiple times through this that we have nothing. Without love in your life, without expressing love, you have nothing. It actually tells us that without love, we are a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. We have to understand if you have a neighbor or a coworker or somebody that you're trying to share Jesus with and you're like, Chad, it's so frustrating. I don't know why, but they just won't hear about Jesus. I'll ask, how much do you love them? Not just with words, but action. How much do you show love? How much do they hear you talk about loving others because if they don't hear you talking about love if they don't sh- if they don't see you showing love to others then you will just sound like Charlie Brown's teacher when you go to talk about Jesus that's all you he- they'll hear is a sound ga- uh, clanging cymbal a, a gong because see, the chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians it ends with this statement that after all the things that we can have he says the greatest is love The greatest is love. Out of everything that God has given us, the greatest is love. Galatians 5, 22, 23, it talks about the spiritual gifts and it says, but the fruit of the, sorry, about the uh, fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In this Advent series, we've talked, series or season, we've talked about hope. 
We've talked about peace and we've talked about joy and we've talked about love today. Most of these are the fruit of the Spirit. For us to show God's love to others, we need to have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. It needs to be produced. It needs to be showing out of all the areas of our lives. These keys into showing other people Jesus Christ, it is such the key. We need to have love. We need to be joyful. We need to be happy. We need to be peaceful. We need to have forbearance, which is patience. We need to have kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Without love, we are nothing but a clanging symbol. We need the fruit of the Spirit as well because perfect love drives out the fear that are in people's lives today in our world. And God's love is the only one that is perfect. And we need to show people God's love. John sums it up in 1 John 4, continuing in verse 7 to verse 12. I want you to realize, and I want you to kind of count, if you will, how many times he uses the word love. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved you, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we have love, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. None of us in this room are God. But as verse 12 tells us, that no one has seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. If we love one another, people will see God through our love. And today, this year especially, with all of the fear in this world, what people need more, this world needs, your neighbor needs, your coworker needs, your family member needs, is to see and feel God's love. Because as we've already read, there is no fear in love. But perfect fear, or perfect love, drives out fear. And only God gives us that. So we need to show God's love so that we can drive out some of the fear in our own lives and especially in our world. Because when we love each other, you and I can help drive back fear in other people's lives. So we need God's love so we can share God's love. Can we stand together? I want to lead us in a prayer to close. And we kind of did this last week, and I want you to repeat after me. So let's pray. Father God, forgive us of our sins. We choose today to forgive others who have sinned against us. We repent of holding on to offense. And we release these offenses and these people to you. We pray a blessing on them and their families 
their marriage, their business. We ask you to bless everything they do. Father, help us to receive your unconditional love. We thank you for your love. And we ask you to help us to spread your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm just going to share with you quickly your homework. If you're new with us, yes, we give homework. We're hoping to encourage you to have conversations with each other, memorize some scripture. It'll help build you up in your walk with the Lord. So this week we're going to ask you to memorize 1 John 4.18. It says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love dries out fear, because fear has to do with punishment, and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. What a powerful verse to have memorized so that you can quote this anytime you're starting to feel fearful. And our discussion questions are simple. When did you first surrender your life to Jesus? Just a time to share a testimony with one another and share our walk with the Lord. And then another testimony story. Share a time where you were fearful and God calmed your fear. And number three, who has God put on your heart to do something special for this Christmas season? I just want to talk about that for just a couple seconds. I want you to, when you hear that, I don't want you to think of something big. You don't have to, if you want to, you can. But even a Christmas card with an encouraging word written in it, and that's it. I'm not talking about a big gift or a financial gift. I'm talking about how can you encourage somebody? Who has God put on your heart that you can do something special for? And number four is one thing that all of us need. Reach out to somebody and ask, hey, how can I pray for you this week? How can I walk with you? And so God bless you. I want to bless you as you go. Be God's love to one another. Share God's love. Share his joy. And if you haven't registered for a Christmas Eve service and you want to join us at 3 o'clock, I'm letting you know the last time I looked, there was only 18 spots left. And so sign up quickly, and we will see you on Christmas Eve. God bless you, and Merry Christmas. Thanks for checking out this week's message, Bethel Church Podcast that's blessed you and encouraged you and that you come back and check out next week's message as well. 